Just turn with me in your Bibles to uh, John 21, please. That's a famous passage. I'm just going to start from here and then I'm going to go a few places uh, with this. Just uh, set the context. Jesus is uh, with the disciples and uh, they just had a miraculous breakthrough fish like crazy. And, uh, and, and then Jesus speaks some stuff to them. He says, well, when they're finished uh, eating in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Um, uh, we're... Uh, we're a, an exciting place as a church uh, with all the things that God's doing with us and all the things that we know that uh, he's spoken about us to be, to be like him, to uh, do things the way he does things. And uh, if you know this passage at all well, and I'm sure you've heard uh, people speaking on this, you'll know that those questions, those three questions that Jesus asked uh, Peter, uh, he doesn't say, do you love me, three times asking the same question. He, uh, the, this is where the, uh, the Greek or, uh, it has different words for love that we don't uh, use. And, and you, you'll know this if you've been around the church for any length of time. Uh, Jesus asks him the question the very first time, and he says, do you love me? And he uses the word agapo, agapo. It's, it's uh, the love that is uh, usually referred to uh, God's love. Uh, it is a love that is based in a social or a moral uh, sense. It is a, a love that is responsible or takes responsibility for. It, it's... Uh, it's a love that has, is more of a decision than an emotion. Okay? So it's not emotional-based. It's not feeling-based love. It is a duty-based love. It is a commitment-based love. Okay? And so Jesus asks Peter, do you love me in the agape kind of love? And Peter, as uh, if you've heard, I'm, I'm just kicking this off here. This is not really the, the sermon part. But he says, I love you. He says, I philea you. I love you uh, as a friend. I love you with the affection of someone who I care for with feelings uh, of that kind. It is a feeling-based love. It is a personal attachment love. Okay. Phileo is a personal attachment. Uh, you have something in common, your, your, uh, your friendship, your, your care for one another. Okay? So it, it's based upon uh, time spent together. It's, it's friends. It, it, it's a complete contrast to uh, agab, A-G-A-B, which is a sensual love, or a, uh, it's actually from the word to breathe after. So that sensual love is to catch the, the fragrance of, to catch the, the smell. It, it, it's, a, it's a response, a physical response. 
you need air to breathe, you, you love in that kind of same way, that you, you so need this person that, uh, uh, that you, you, you just in the same way you need air. Okay? So there's, kind of, there's three kinds of love. And, and Peter is taken by Jesus on this kind of question, do you love me? Do you love me with that complete mind decision kind of love that will do whatever, however? that has such a responsibility behind it, a sense of responsibility and commitment to. And Peter goes, no, I love you because I have a personal attachment to you. I love you with my feelings. And the second time Jesus asks him that, and he responds back in the same way. No, I love you with, uh, because uh, you're such a great friend. I love you because um, uh, we're connected in the same things. And so the third time Jesus asks it, he brings the question down a level and says, do you love me because I'm a friend? Do you love me because of the attachments? Do you love me uh, with feelings? And Peter then gets angry because he's already asked that one. He's avoided the question in, in uh, the depth bit because he doesn't understand this complete commitment love. This love uh, is God's kind of love that is uh, completely giving in love. That is a, a given love that isn't based on the attachment or the friendship that actually gives when actually there is no love in return. You see, God so loved us, when? When we were still in sin, when we hated God, when we were going against him, he loved us with that complete commitment love, a responsible love that gives himself wholeheartedly and completely, not based on feelings, but as a determined way to do it, because he took responsibility for us. Huh? And so what Jesus then says to to Peter, he says, this kind of love is going to take you places that you don't want to go. Oh. (laughs) While you were young, you did it your way, but there's a time coming when you're going to do it my way. (laughs) Yay. Why am I starting here? Because God is placing that challenge upon us as a church to be the most loving church in the world. Not a a boast, but that mind decision, wholehearted, complete commitment to people around us that we can see now, whether we have an attachment to them or don't, and to those that we don't yet know and have no attachment to, that we're to love on them with God's kind of love, care, commitment, and that's going to take us places that we would not in the natural want to go. I, I can look around, and, and uh, Jonathan's on the, uh, the desk, and, and uh, Phil uh, is here um, in the worship. Both of them were over in Bradford, uh, because we asked them to. Not because they particularly had a real desire to go and serve in Bradford, but because they were asked, they went. The, the, see, this is, the, this is the decision that we have in following the Lord, that there will be many situations that we find ourselves in where actually our own feelings are irrelevant to the decisions we need to take. If I only preach when I feel like it, I wouldn't preach very often. Um, If I uh, pastor people when I feel like it, that would be even fewer times. Um, You know, the the reality is, um, when uh, we just uh, celebrated the marriage yesterday of of Madder and Tamara, and that was awesome. And there were so many people went the extra mile. They didn't just do what they were asked to do. They went and they did more beyond and above. You know, even like uh, the, the flowers and, and things that were done, um, that were done 
with a knowledge that actually uh, uh, Sharon, for example, uh, she knew it wasn't just going to take the time that the person was asking for, that actually arrangements, and we're kind of laughing, you know, the African timing and things. <laughs> we laugh about it because what it actually, we kind of in our hearts know it's going to take a lot more time. The, it does, if it says uh, 11.30 for the wedding, that, then people are going to be there at half past 12. <laughs> it, it factors in other people. And I just want us to turn to the, the, the famous um, passage in the Bible on love, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I'm going to read it, first of all, in the... Uh, uh, in the message, uh, and then I'm going to read it in the NIV, and then I'm going to expound it a little bit. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps... But I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burnt as a martyr, but don't love, I've got nowhere. No matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want and doesn't have Sorry, love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. And doesn't revel when others grovel. It doesn't take pleasure, but does take pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything It trusts God always, always looks for the best and never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be cancelled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cuckooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then as it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things Uh, to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Mm. And let's just read that in uh, the NIV. I'm just going to focus on uh, from verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And uh, in the uh, King James It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not its own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. But rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And I'm just going to, I just want to unpack some things here because uh, as, as God was just stirring me for about tonight, I'm just, 
There are some things about this. The first thing love starts with, love is patient. You know, one of the things about God that I've discovered is God's time table, time scales for me are a lot more than I would ever give me. We talk about long-suffering. But it's not just suffering, but it's actually um, patience is uh, basically, as far as love is concerned, there's no time limit. Love refuses to allow time to dictate the agenda and set the goals. Love has long-term goals and is prepared to put up with things until things come in line. That's what patience means. It's not just that it's suffering. It's not just suffering. You see, suffering, you, you, you only suffer something if you know there's going to be a change. We don't put up with things that don't change, do we? Come on. But love knows that it's going to change. It is just a matter of time, and therefore time is not allowed to be the issue that drives the agenda in the life of the people that we're loving on. So as a church, we have this mindset towards people. We have, not we will have. This is the mindset that we have. It's just the walking of it out. (laughs) You see, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of patience. So it's going to be tested. It is going to be used. It's going to be pulled on. Because fruit is not for us, but it's for other people, isn't it? So people are going to take and draw on your patience and use it up in a big way. Okay? Love is patient. Love does not see patience as an option. That's why we don't like it sometimes. What it actually says is that my timetable doesn't matter, your timetable does. That the plans and the purposes that God has for you are going to become my priorities, time-wise. Now, sometimes that's, you know, we had a group of people that came to our church a few years back, and they they arrived late at night. I think it was they arrived about 11 o'clock, some Egyptian... Um, no, it was Palestinians, sorry, not um, Egyptians, Palestinians. And uh, they wanted to ask a bunch of questions. They wanted teaching. They wanted to receive from us. And uh, it was late at night. Well, most of us kind of, 11 o'clock, I, I, you know, most of us are sort of thinking it's bedtime, isn't it? And, uh, and so for them to arrive and, and uh, the person that was staying with us said, these guys want to ask some questions. Would you mind doing a little bit of a Bible study? It's 11 o'clock at night. Okay. Time to start a Bible study? So we put the kettle on, we put the coffee on. At 2 o'clock, we were still going strong. But for Clara and for me, that was the beginning of our ministry to Muslims. It opened up something so substantial and set the heart of God uh, for us in a, in a way that we were not ready for, not prayed for, hadn't planned for, but God had it on his agenda. And, and on that moment, we had a choice. I'm really sorry, I need to go to bed is a normal response, yeah? But actually, God had something ready, waiting, that demanded extra time from us to go above and beyond. 
his timetable, not ours. Okay? So love is patient. Love will not allow time to dictate the agenda. All right, so let's move on a bit. Otherwise, we're going to be a very long time here tonight. Love is kind. All right. So if you look at that word, uh, love is kind, um, it is to show yourself useful, to act benevolently. So love is beneficial for the recipient irrespective of cost to the giver, donor. So love is determined that the person on the receiving end is going to get what they need in a way that's useful and is going to enable them to come into the plan that God's got for them. So when we say love is kind, we're not saying, ah, isn't that nice? I will do what you need. But we will do what is useful, effective for you, is what we're saying. We're going to do something that is so beneficial to you that it's going to have permanency and benefits to you for the long term and the long run. Hmm. Because it flows from the one before. So that love that is of benefit to the person and giving without um, just my limitations doesn't have my time limits either. (laughs) Because the word of God builds, doesn't it? So it isn't that it's either patient or it's beneficial, but it is beneficial and patient. (laughs) Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and love is not envious. So, envy talks about covetousness. It's, it talks about the very desires that we would have for good things. So, what it means is that my patience and my kindness is going to abound in ways that mean that what I give is the very thing that I probably would want for myself if I allowed myself time to actually think about it. I would want it, and I wouldn't want to give it to you because I would desire it. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. (laughs) And this is love. Well, this is only the third one. (laughs) I'm starting to think about this because... You know, some, some of the things that God is asking us and directing us towards is going to be not just costly for us, but it's going to be that we give to others the very thing that we ourselves desire at a cost that means that we can't have it. Or at least at the time that we give it, actually, because that's the way God works, at the time that we give it, it is that we won't have it. The very thing that we want and we desire, we won't necessarily have. But the goodness of God is that when we give in that kind of a way, he always gives us far more back, yeah? But it never seems to be that he does that until you've given. Have you noticed that? (laughs) That you have to do the giving first in a way that completely lets go, no strings attached, and then he seems to release the very thing back to you that you desired. But while you try and hold on to it or give it to the person in the way that really, you know, you've got this on loan, I'm having that back because it's mine, it doesn't seem to ever come back to you. That wholeheartedness, the agenda is long-term. The agenda is the benefit of the person at the cost of our own desires. Whoa. Do we want to go any deeper on this? (laughs) Okay. This builds. Okay. And then love does not boast. So... In going the extra mile and acting for the benefit of the person, 
And giving the cost up, you then get no glory. You get to boast about none of it, but actually make it like it was of no cost. You see, boasting is about the, 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 the focus is on me. I gave. I did. I achieved. It was my abilities. You see, that's what boasting is. Boasting is about our abilities, our achievements, our, our, our goodness, our greatness. And so when love gives, it gives in a way that does not draw the attention of people to the person who gives, but in actually puts the attention on the person who's receiving. That we, as the givers of costly things, with patience and given for that benefit, make sure that there's no tinge or hook. But the person knows, actually, they got it freely and full of love. But then love is not proud. You see, you know, our achievements and that, that, that focus, we've dealt with that side, and then we kind of go, oh, wasn't that good? And love does not allow that feeling of, I've done the right things, aren't I good? I, see, puffed up, that's what pride is about, is to think more highly of yourself. So, When God gives us things to do, and we do the things he gave us to do, in the power that he gave us to do those things, we don't think that we achieved anything. You see, that's the the proud bit. It's not just that I'm a proud person, but what happens when we start to see the very things that God's spoken about becoming a reality right here in our midst. We all want to make a song and dance about it, about how amazing this church is because of X, Y, and Z. Whereas pride goes, we don't need to make a song and dance about it because the Lord knows and the Lord rewards. That pride um, is one of the biggest switch-offs as far as God is concerned, it is the biggest problem for revival and the biggest thing that undermines ministries, even to today. You get on the God channel or the TV and your ministry's up there and people are saying how awesome you are and you start to believe the publicity. No. This whole talent, this ability to love like this, it came from the Lord it was not a natural thing. It wasn't that we desired to do it. We, we saw these people from God's perspective. We saw how he wanted to do things for them. We began to do that, and we found it even challenging our own hearts about how we gave, and we allowed him to work that, and at the end of that, we went, phew. We breathed a sigh of relief that we actually did it the way he wanted to do it, and the person got blessed. We don't start thinking, weren't we good? I don't know about you, but most of the time when things have really worked, I actually feel just a a feeling of relief. I don't feel that I've done anything great. I just like, it worked. (laughs) I bet that all the people that were involved in the, uh, the wedding yesterday... None of them were thinking how amazing the wedding was. They were just relieved that it all worked. The couple were excited. Everyone that was there was blessed. And they collapsed in the evening when everything was cleared away. I'm the one commending them. They're not the ones commending them. Do you follow? So that this is love at work. This is the the kind of love that God is speaking to us about as a church. Love is not rude. Uh, 
rude is, is, is to act in an unbecoming way or, or to act in a way that's going to put others off. So the kind of love we've got is not so offensively in people's face that they question whether they really want to receive from us. Because, you know, it's on our agenda, on our purpose. You know, this is why so, so much of evangelism is ineffective because actually people uh, on the receiving end of our message of faith are like, please don't talk to me anymore. You know, I'm just like, you know, do I really want to listen to this? You're, and as opposed to actually what, what, if you look at the way Paul acted, you know, even in the, his debating, he talks at Athens and, uh, about all the gods and he, he talks to them about the kind of gods they have and that even commends them for the fact that they've got uh, an idol for the unknown god. And he doesn't go, you're useless for having all these. No, he begins to unpack this unknown God that you have here. Let me talk to you about him. So the way he draws them into what he knows rather than pushing himself onto them. He takes them from where they are and moves them into the place where they can receive what he wants to give because that's what's going to benefit them and give them the long-term future that they need. This is what it means to be a faith church. A faith church does not say you don't believe. A faith church helps someone from a place of unbelief, lifts them into the place of revelation, stands alongside them until they're able to walk in that faith themselves, and then commends them for walking in by faith. And then shows them how to walk that faith out in others in love. Because that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who acts and behaves just like Jesus. Jesus didn't go around condemning people, nor did he leave them where they were. So we see the woman caught in adultery. He doesn't rebuke all the people and go, where's the guy? He doesn't accuse them. He just, he actually even gives them a get out clause. Let the person without sin be ready to be the one that casts the first stone. And what happens? They are convicted by their own hearts, not by Jesus. He didn't condemn them, he didn't rebuke them. He gave them a word that allowed them to make choices about how they would behave. See, that's what love does. Love has that long-term agenda and is of the benefit-minded to actually go, it doesn't matter whether I look right, it matters that you get it right. And so they then leave with their hearts convicted and convinced that they don't need to kill. But he then turns to her and then says, I don't challenge you. I, I'm not going to cast a stone. I'm not going to condemn you. I have every right to do so, but it is of no benefit to you if I exercise my rights. So Jesus, with that woman, leaves her forgiven and with hope, go sin no more. So he gives her direction for her life. He speaks a word of grace into her life. Because it wasn't just go sin no more, thou shalt not sin. But he's enabled her by his words and by his actions to have a change of lifestyle. That's why the sinners flocked to him. Because he wasn't condemning. He didn't have his agenda that was so upfront that no one wanted to go anywhere near him they saw the kind of agenda he had was of their benefit in the long run. All right. How am I doing time-wise? You see, it's, it's not putting the other people, it's not rude. Love is not self-seeking. 
self-seeking. If you actually uh, look into this, it's linked to the words worship or plotting. So in other words, you've got your schemes and your plan of how to get ahead. Or your worship, your self-worship, self-promoting of your agenda. So love is not self-seeking. It is not plotting to put yourself up, but to raise others up. And I think, you know, that's, that, that's, that, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? So, and then love is not easily angered. You see, if you're not being rude, if you're not setting up things, you won't get angry when it doesn't work your way in the short term because your long-term goal you know is going to come about and you're acting for the person's benefit. And so actually, even if you are momentary angry, you're going to sort it so that the person is able to continue to receive from you because you know the benefit you want to give them for their good. So it's not easily angered. The, the word anger here is about being easily stirred, being someone who's provoked easily. You're easily moved. What does it say in Ephesians 6? That having done all, stand. You're not the kind of person that's moved to anger. Anger doesn't move you. Love moves you. Jesus looked on the crowds and he was moved with compassion. He saw they were all over the place, like sheep without a shepherd, and he wasn't angry with the sheep. The only people he was angry with were the leaders who knew what they should be doing but weren't doing it. Those are the people that made him angry. So that's the church, isn't it? (laughs) Because we know how we should be, and if we don't do that, then he is angry with us. Judgment begins in the church, with the house of God. It doesn't begin out in the world, it begins with the house of God. Okay? So we understand that we're not to be moved by anger, but we, that love should compel us. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ makes us think of others more highly than ourselves. Anyway. So if it's not easily angered, then there's a, the next thing is a critical, crucial part. How do you avoid anger? By keeping no record of wrongs. You see, we get angry because we remember, this is what the person did before. I can see it coming. <laughs> yeah? The record the, of what they've done before is will stop us from being patient with them. Because patience recognizes there's going to be a change, while the record of wrongs shows us nothing's changed. It's a direct conflict. And where there's resistance, you know, the, 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 in electric current, where there is a resistance, there's heat, friction, problems. And so we are those who are not putting resistance into the way. But we are those who take resistance out, who refuse to get angry, who take no offense. Offense is something we take. But we're told to take no offense. Offense happens, but we're not to take it. So... As, as we understand, that means then that record of how people behave is not something that we allow to direct our thinking and our feelings, but we have this sense of duty and of responsibility and of a care that knows this person's going to move into the very plans and purposes that God's got for them, so we will take that extra step with them, even though they are users and abusers. Yeah. Love thinks no evil. Or uh, love 
rejoices not in iniquity. Iniquity is one of the four types of sin. There's sin, which is to miss the mark. Um, There is evil, which is to directly go opposite to what God says. Then then there's trespass, which is to go outside the boundaries. So, uh, but iniquity is to twist and pervert, to distort, or to use for wrong purpose. So, we don't rejoice in things being uh, used for the wrong purpose. So, when we see people following after the, the devil, it doesn't, and, and, and then coming a cropper, it doesn't gladden their hearts that they get what they deserved. In fact, our hearts are hurt because they got what they deserved. We don't want them to get what they deserve any more than we want to get what we deserved. That's that's the mercy of God to give us, to not give us what we deserve. And the grace of God is then to give us what we don't deserve. So God doesn't give us the judgment we deserve as sinners but declares us innocent and then gives us his grace, his abilities, which we have no qualification for, and he gives us as a free gift and enables us to become sons of God and do things that only God can do. So we lay hands on the sick. They recover whether we feel like it or not because it's God's power that touches them, not our power. And so we see this ability, this, this is, we're not thinking evil, we're, we're not rejoicing in evil, we're not thinking in a distorted way, we're not thinking in a perverted way, but our thinking is pure. Whatever is noble, whatever is righteous, think on these things. Our mind is focused on what is for the good benefit, long term, of the people around us. And so when someone comes into church, we don't think they're scraggly or they're not well-dressed or they are well-dressed, let's go and talk to them. We don't avoid the person that smells and we don't go to the person that smells nice. But we meet all people with the same heart, with that same mindset that they matter. This isn't easy thing. This is an easy life. This is to agape. This is to, to love on people with God's kind of love. To see past what's on the outside and have a sense of God's plan and purpose for their life. And to see that plan and purpose fulfilled, we will go the extra step, going places that we wouldn't necessarily want to go. And we certainly wouldn't have gone except that we allow God to do something in our hearts today that where we were at a week ago or a year ago, forget it. But now suddenly we find ourselves doing those things because the love of God has worked in our hearts. This is, you see, this is what, when, when Peter heard this, he didn't understand it. He just knew he had to step by step move into the things that God had for him. And likewise for us, we don't know what this necessarily means, but we take the next step. The person in front of us is where the ministry begins, not the pulpit. And so as we've been speaking out and we've taught on, pursue the gifts, pursue love was the first bit, and then the the spiritual gifts. And so I'm coming back to that love again. You see, it doesn't just not—it doesn't just not think about evil. And you see, when it talks about evil, it talks—it's thinking. It refers to evil also as worthless things. It's of a worthless thoughts or depraved thoughts. So we don't rejoice in depraved thinking. We don't—we don't allow worthless thoughts about people. If it doesn't value the person, we're not going to think it, and we're not going to allow it to keep to stay in our minds. If it doesn't value people, you see, this is what the love of God places value on people's lives. The love of God 
has that sense of total commitment because it sees value in you and me before we had any outward value. He knew that he could put into us what was necessary. It wasn't, you see, this is the amazing thing about God. It's like, um, it's like a computer. You know, if you think the computer's got some value, you'll replace parts of it. Okay, because you think you can make it into a better version. So we'll upgrade components. That is not love in the way that God means, where it takes useful things, adds benefit to them, and makes them better. We were completely incompatible, unusable, unworkable, unfixable, and he took all our innards out, and put a whole new motherboard, hard drive, all the bits, replaced all the wiring, the power supply. The every, there was not a single part that he found that was usable. Except the outward casing. And even that's going to get replaced. That's the love of God. Not an upgrade, but effectively everything inside completely changed and working. And now we have to learn how to work with that new hard drive and whatever it is. You understand the computer analogy, don't you? (laughs) Yeah? All right. You see, love protects. Love protects. The the word uh, protect there, um, it it actually refers to... um, to, to put a roof over, a covering over. In this case, uh, if you look into uh, Strong's, it's a covering of silence. Love protects means that we will not speak of what has been done because love will not allow that reputation to be brought down. We will not allow people to think evil of that person or to see them in a different way, anything other than the way God sees them. The the love protects, elevates them, and places them in the place where God sees them to be, completed, set apart for his holy plans and purposes, even while they're going in the opposite direction as fast as they can. Because that's what he did with us. Isn't it? And you see, that's why those who have been loved much, love much. Or those who have been forgiven much, love much. You see, that when we, that's what it says in, uh, in uh, 2 Peter, okay? Uh, 2 Peter 1, it talks about his divine plan, his power, uh, verse 3, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of, of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, his glory, his goodness. And through these he has given us these very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Wow! And then if you go on to verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective. Verse 9, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. This is what stops us in our tracks. When we lose sight of the forgiveness in our lives and we begin to think that our prayer Our lifestyle is what keeps us in church and makes us look good. And because we prayed, we saw someone healed, and it's all about us, we actually become ineffective because we've lost sight of the qualities that were given to us and how we got them and how we keep them. Anyway, let's go back. So it always protects. It covers over with silence. Love always trusts. Trust is, a, is, a, is, is more than just a, can you trust someone. Love actually, it means to put faith in, to have respect for, 
to credit the person with an ability or grace or gifting that you don't even necessarily see. So when Abraham believed God, he didn't see the evidence of what he was believing. But he considered him faithful who promised. There was no evidence, but he put his trust. He credited God with not just the ability, but the total complete commitment to do what he had said, and that was called faith. So when we say love trusts, it is active faith. It is the active crediting of the person that we are loving on, not us, not the people around, but the person who's blowing it, getting it wrong, that we are going. No, we know who's at work in your life, and we know the plan he has for you, and we know who you are in Christ. We see something way beyond what you are doing here and now, and we are saying that's what we are putting our trust in. We know his word will not return void. Love always hopes. Hopes, it's, uh, the, the root word there is expectancy. It's anticipation with pleasure. So it's not just, yeah, I know, he's going to get there in the end. I don't know. Oh, we've just got to put up with it. Come on, let's just put up with it. No, anticipates with pleasure. It's a sense of the excitement. You know, it's like Man United in those last seconds. You just know they're going to score. You're waiting for what you know is going to happen. What you know is going to happen. That's that's the the word here. When it talks about hope, it's that certainty. You're You're just waiting any second now. The fruit of love into this person is going to break their heart open. It's going to bring the transformation that we've been believing for. Amen. That's what gets us praying, you see. You see, that's the kind of love that doesn't fail, can't fail. When it talks about fail, it talks about fading away. You know, it's an anticipation always perseveres yeah it's not driven off course if you if you've got your uh concordance open here you see fail love never fails that word fail is not drop away it's not driven off course and doesn't become inefficient those are the three words that are associated here with that word fail so we're seeing that end goal with that determination, we see that there's, not, there's nothing going to drive us off course. Nothing going to drive this person off course. We're so consistently praying and expectant and anticipating what God's working and planning for them that it's not going to be inefficient. Our love's not inefficient. Our love's not going to fade away. It's not okay here today and tomorrow just, I don't know, I'm really not sure this is going to work. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. We get driven off course. We're not tossed around by every wave of teaching. The latest wave is holiness, or the latest wave is forgiveness, or the latest wave. No, we're consistent in that approach. We know that we know that we know that we have those things that we've prayed for, that we've spoken. You see, this is the God kind of love. This is God was not deflected. He said before the creation of the world, he made provision to redeem man who hadn't even yet failed. (laughs) That's love. His total confidence in himself and his plan for man was the devil would not manage to succeed and win. And for you and for me, that's, his, that's the love he's put in our hearts. Because the love of God has, past tense, been shed abroad in our hearts. So you and I 
no longer love with human love. We have the spirit of love inside us. And out of a man's innermost being, a river of living water flows. So that river's love, that river, these things remain, faith, hope, and love. So let's just, I want you just, right where you are, some of these bits will have just sparked something in you. And I just want you to receive from the Lord that fresh baptism of love. He is your source of unending love. Maybe it's patience that you're needing to walk more in and you think you've given up on. Maybe it's records are wrong. Maybe it, whatever. You've, just, you've seen the list. You can see it. And, and let's just take a few moments to respond to the Lord. Jesus, Jesus. If you focus on the lack or the failure, there's no victory in that. Repent, ask forgiveness, receive forgiveness, but receive afresh tonight the ability, the success the vision for the people who are around you, for yourself. You are able to love with the same love that Christ loved because he lives in you. So just begin to pray in tongues. Let that love start to flow from you into situations. Don't work out whether you've got it, just as you're praying. You might want to stand, you might want to walk around, you might want to kneel, that's up to you. But I just want you to begin to pray in tongues, just let love flow from your heart as you pray. Oh, yeah, thank you, Father. Your language is love. Your language is love. You are love. Everything you say is love. Every word is directed in love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I can love because you love me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that your agenda directs me Your agenda convinces me. Lord, I thank you for right agendas as I minister, as I talk to people, as I I befriend people. Father, as I love on them, I thank you, Father. You are working your agenda in my heart. Thank you, Father. Lord, I thank you. I see your end goal. Oh, Lord, I see the victory of the cross. You triumphed before you ever got to that cross. And I thank you, Father, that we are overcomers through that cross. Before we ever see the results, we know we have the results of our prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Father, that we have the victory. Thank you, Jesus. 
Piatara balo mandala masamara ondora. Katara ora karedo gasiatara balo. Oh, thank you, Father. You give me right thinking. Lord, love directs my thoughts. Lord, I thank you to think what is pure, what is noble. I thank you, Father. I rejoice in goodness. I rejoice in what is good. I rejoice in kindness. I rejoice in being effective and giving those things that are right to people, Lord. I thank you that you are creating desires in me for others, that their benefit is my desire to see them lifted, Lord. I thank you. You have put that desire in my heart, the love of God working in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Now, I just want you to just stand to your feet. I just want you to begin. Now, if there's an area or a person that you has just been a struggle for you, I want you to now pray in tongues. And just as you're praying in tongues for that person, just, all, just focus on God's love. As you pray, that love is going to flow towards them. Things are going to change. Let's just begin to speak out in tongues. Don't, don't try and pray your agenda, your ideas, your own thinking into place. But just trust the Lord that as you pray, long-term things are now happening for that person. Thank you. Zola mangarli mecharum, lambarla manondare de lezietare besarim, lemmerabarama lotulele charosar. 